I pray, and then we're going to look at that passage. So, Father, thank you for your word. Um, Lord, we're just so grateful that, uh, that you've given it to us. We're grateful that um, it trains us, it corrects us, it encourages us. Um, and Lord, through, through your word, your Holy Spirit speaks to us. And so we pray that you would do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I was listening to a radio show called This American Life. This is a long time ago now. And they had an episode. Uh, I don't think the whole Basically, the way the show is, they, they like pick a topic and they do three stories usually about that topic. I don't think the episode was about sausages, but this particular episode had a little mini episode within it. And they were talking about the Vienna Beef Hot Dog Company out of Chicago, um, which is my favorite hot dog, the Vienna Beef. And um, what they were saying in the show is that for, for years and years and years, they had the same factory. So they just, they made the same hot dogs in the same way in the same factory for, you know, generation upon generation. And they always came out perfect. They always came out exactly the right shape, the right color, the right taste, everything just came out perfect. But they were growing and so, and the building was getting old and so they built a new one. And so one day they moved all their operations from the old factory into the new one. And they recreated the same process. So it's, all the hot dogs came out the same taste, the same shape that came out actually maybe a little bit um, more efficiently, but they, they pretty much came out the same, except there was one problem. And the problem is the color was wrong. So it wasn't that classic color that everyone who buys these hot dogs recognizes. And so they, they brought in consultants. They paid tens of thousands of dollars to consultants to try and figure out why are the hot dogs not coming out the right color. And they just tried over and over and over again to try and find the solution to the problem, and they finally got to the point where they're like, okay, we just need to find some old employees to just come in and look at what we're doing. So they started calling retired employees to come in and say, just come and walk around the factory, watch us work, and let us know what we're doing wrong. And they bring this one guy in, and uh, he had a particular job in the factory, and his job in the factory was when they sort of came off the production line, they needed to then be moved into a cooler um, and the production line was on this side of the factory, and the cooler was way, way on the other side of the factory. And uh, in the new factory, they were trying to create efficiencies, so they just put the cooler right next to where they come off the production line. And the guy, his job was he would take the racks of hot dogs, and he would walk them through. It was almost like a, a five or some odd five, ten-minute journey across the factory from the end of the production line to the, to the cooler. And he goes, I know what your problem is. I know your problem is that you just walk them straight from the production line into the cooler and they used to go for 10 minutes through this hot factory and that would affect the color so they're like okay let's try it so they took him and they put him in a kind of warm room off to the side and then put him in the cooler and they came out perfect and uh, and so they ended up cutting a hole in the side of the factory and building a warm room so they come off the assembly line they put him in the warm room and then they put him in the cooler and they solved the problem of the the miscolored vienna beef hot dogs for all of us so we should all be grateful so they did that. What's the point of that? Well, it's, it's not just because I like to talk about hot dogs, but I, though I do. Uh, the point is to get the result that you want, right, to get the output, you, you've got to have the input right. You've got to have the right input to get the right output. Um, and so uh, that's the point of that. That was the point on the radio show, actually. They were trying to make that point in the radio show. And that really stuck with me. Um, and, uh, and so to get the, the result you want, you've got to make sure you've got the right input. And so uh, it would follow then if your life is not going the way you want, if you don't quite have the output that you want, then you're not seeing the results you want, then you've got to look at what you're putting it in. Putting in. And let me put it another way. All the things that you're putting in, all your inputs, they're all perfectly designed to give you the results that you're getting. 
Um, I'll put it one more way. Um, to change the output, you've got to change the input. Okay, I can't, that's as clear as I can get. Okay, that, that's the point of that. And so then the question then comes, uh, you know, last week we talked about wisdom. Do you want to be wise? Do you want to be a wise person? Do you want to be godly? Do you want to be loving? Do you want to be kind, hospitable, grateful? Do you want to be moral? Do you want to be just? Do you want to be forgiving? Now, as you can see, I'm making the assumption that if you're a Christian, you do want those things. Those are things that you want. But if you're not a Christian, actually, you probably want most of those things too. You want to be kind. You want to be hospitable and grateful and just and forgiving. Well, the passage we're looking at today, it looks very, very intently at both the inputs and the outputs of living a life like that. That's what today's passage does. And so what we've been talking about all through this series in the book of Ephesians is how it is that God renews us. How does God take us from um, broken, from being in darkness, to, uh, to renewing us, to, to bringing us into light? How does he do that? That's what we've been looking at. And what we've been saying all along is that renewal always comes from the outside in. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And then once it's in, it works its way out in every area of your life. So it always comes from the outside in, but then once it's in, it works itself out in every area of your life, in your, uh, your attitudes, in your actions, in your relationships. And so what this text that we're looking at says is the input that we need most, the input we need to be wise, to be godly, to be grateful, to be kind, to be forgiving, the input, it says, is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the input. And so we're going to answer three questions. One, what does it mean then to be filled with the Holy Spirit? So that's the input. What does it mean? Secondly, what happens when we are? And then thirdly, how then can we be filled with the Spirit? So we're going to take those in turn. So first, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, look at our text again. So look, just skip the first two verses and look at verse 17. It says, therefore. And that means that we have to stop then and look at what came before. And that's why verses 15 and 16 from last week are here again. And so let's go back. Verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And so what's he talking about there? Well, if you were here last week, you'll, you'll remember he's talking about wisdom. And last week we defined wisdom not as knowledge. So wisdom isn't just, you know, information that you get and you hold in there. That's not wisdom. Wisdom we defined as doing the right thing over and over and over and over and over again until it becomes automatic, until that just becomes who you are. You become the kind of person who always does that. That's what wisdom is. And Paul says to do that because the days that we're living in are evil. So he says, be wise because the days you live in are evil. And what that means is uh, not only is there uh, always the opportunity to do evil, but our culture actually encourages it. Like the culture actually calls us into doing all sorts of things that are immoral or evil. And even more than that, earlier in that passage, uh, we saw last week that there is a darkness in all of our hearts that means we're all capable of doing evil. All of us have the capability. Um, and so read on, verse 17, therefore, so that's what wisdom is, and that's the kind of world we live in, therefore, do not be foolish. And what does it mean to be foolish? Well, it's, foolish is the opposite of wisdom. It's the opposite. And so it's doing the wrong thing over and over and over and over again until it becomes automatic, right? So if wisdom is doing the right thing over and over again until it becomes automatic, foolishness is doing the wrong thing over and over again until it becomes automatic. But it's actually more than just that. So it is doing the wrong thing over and over and over again until it becomes automatic. But it's also expecting that you'll still somehow become wise. That's real foolishness. 
is I'll do the wrong thing over and over and over again until that becomes automatic, but I'll still expect somehow I'll become wise. That's real foolishness. So, verse 17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And that's our phrase, be filled with the Spirit. Now, the grammatical structure of the phrase actually means it's a command. So this is, this is not like an option. Uh, in the same way the Bible commands us not to murder or commands children to obey their parents. See, there's a Mother's Day reference there, although the kids are gone, so it doesn't really matter. But um, it commands us to be filled with the Spirit. And so what is that? Well, let's, let's look at it. Let's break the phrase down into three parts. So we're going to look at the Spirit, we're going to look at what it means to be filled, and we're going to look at that word with. Um, so first of all, the Spirit. Um, we don't have time to develop all this, but the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, which means the Holy Spirit is fully God. He's a person. He's a person. And sometimes people think of the Holy Spirit as just as only the love between the Father and the Son, or they think of the Holy Spirit as an impersonal power or a force that you tap into, uh, not unlike the Star Wars, not unlike the Star Wars. And so they might think of being filled with the Spirit like the force being with you. And, uh, you know, for someone who doesn't like Star Wars, I sure do make a lot of Star Wars references around here. I don't know why that is, but... Um, but do you remember what Darth Vader says about Luke? Do you remember what he said? It's like one of the most famous lines in the movie. He says, the force is strong with this one. Right? He's, he's observing Luke, and he's observing these abilities that he has. And he says, oh, the force is strong with this one. Uh, or what do people say to one another all through the Star Wars film is like a, you know, a goodbye greeting. What do they say? May the force be with you. <laughs> And the picture there is of an impersonal force, that there are some special people who have the ability to tap into that. Um, but that is completely not what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. It's completely the opposite of that. Uh, the Bible actually introduces the Holy Spirit as a person, as a person who speaks, as a person who acts, a person who has a will, who has emotion. Remember, we even saw that, that you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, who has an intellect because he actually teaches. And so in every way, the Holy Spirit is presented in the Bible alongside God the Father and God the Son as a real person, as God the Spirit. And the way the Holy Spirit is presented in the Bible is that uh, he is the spirit of joy that flows between the Father and the Son because of the delight that they share in one another. And so the Holy Spirit is a third person of the Trinity. And so therefore, to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with joy. If the Spirit is full of joy, to be filled with the Spirit is to be full of joy. But it's not just any old joy. It's to be caught up into the joy that flows among the Trinity. Uh, in other words, to love God the Father and love God the Son uh, with the very love which with they love one another. And so the Spirit actually, that's what he does in you. That's his role. And so uh, also, by the way, he's presented as a person who desires to relate to us. So it's not like the force, right? Remember, Luke had to work really hard to tap into the force. He had to like really try hard to get it. Um, that's not how the spirit is presented to us. The spirit is not elusive. He's not in hiding. He's not only for special people. Earlier on in Ephesians, it says that every single person who has become a Christian by faith in Jesus Christ is actually sealed with the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you're a Christian, you already have the Holy Spirit fully and completely living with you at all times and all places. And so uh, that's who the Spirit is. He's the third person of the Trinity. Uh, he's full of joy, and he lives and dwells uh, in you and with you at all times if you're a Christian. 
So that's who the Spirit is. But then notice it says to be filled. And so what is it to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, for starters, that the Spirit is not an abstract power. Uh, that means being filled with the Spirit is not some abstract thing. In fact, it's not a thing at all. Being filled with the Spirit means you, he gives you his very self. He gives you his life. You're filled with the life of the Spirit. And the life of the Holy Spirit from all eternity is to enjoy the love of the Father and the Son. And so, again, what that means is when the Holy Spirit gives us himself, it means we too can enjoy the love of the Father and the Son. Uh, Romans 5.5, 5, that's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says that God pours his love into our hearts through the Spirit. That's what God's doing. That's what the Holy Spirit is, is doing. Um, Okay, let's talk about um, what it means to be filled with the Spirit then. So that's who the Holy Spirit is and, and uh, what filling is. Let's talk about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And notice he doesn't say to be filled of the Holy Spirit. It's with the Holy Spirit. And remember, he puts this in contrast uh, of being drunk on wine in verse 18. Uh, he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And so he's giving us a little contrast there. Drunk on wine, filled with the Spirit. That's the contrast. And so what's that trying to show us? Uh, earlier this week, Emmy and I watched an old episode of I Love Lucy. Did anyone else grow up watching I Love Lucy on Nick at Night? I mean, there's some people here. I won't point them out because we can tell. They probably saw it when it was live on TV. But some of us had to watch it on reruns. And uh, so we, we were watching that this week. And the episode is the one where Lucy does a commercial for uh, Vitamita Vegemin. Do you remember that one? And uh, Vitamina, Vita, I can't even say it, but she said it a million times. Uh, one of the characters points out as they're like looking at the bottle, they're like, oh, this is 23% alcohol, um, even though it's supposed to be this health thing. And so uh, as part of the commercial, Lucy has to drink it and say how good it tastes. And she's kind of struggling with that point of the commercial. So they make her practice it over and over and over again. She just keeps drinking this Vitamina Vegemin. And you know, the first time she does the commercial, she like spot on does it perfect. And then the second time she does it really well, it's just she can't get the drinking part down, and so they just make her keep drinking it. And by the end, uh, she pretty much can't even stand up straight, and she's like, she can't pour the, the thing into the spoon, and, and she can't say Vitamina Vegemin anymore. It's, just, it's absolutely hilarious. And uh, the image there is that uh, by the time she's had so much of it, she has lost control. Uh, and that's the image Paul wants us to have in mind. Someone who's drunk has lost control. And we actually, we talk about it as being under the influence, right? That's, that's the word we use if you get pulled over. You were driving under the influence. And so what's the point of that? Well, when you're drunk, it's obvious to everyone around you. If you watch that episode, it's obvious that Lucy is drunk. Uh, it's obvious to everyone around her. Uh, and this is what Paul is saying with the contrast here. He's saying, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, just as the effects of alcohol or other substances are so obvious to those around you, so too should be the effects of being filled with the Spirit. It should be obvious. And when you're filled with the Spirit, it should be so obvious to the people around you that, that actually, just like you might talk about someone who's drunk behind their back, you talk about someone who's filled with the Spirit behind their back. That's how obvious it should be. But what they talk about is your love for other people. They talk about your love for God. They talk about your patience. They talk about your kindness. They talk about your, your goodness. They talk about your ability to forgive. Talk about your gratefulness. They talk about your self-control. 
and the point that Paul is making here is that being filled with the Holy Spirit should be as obvious as being drunk. It should be that obvious. And that's what he gets to in verse 19. In verse 19, he starts to describe our second point, what happens when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So let me quickly put this all back together, and then we'll look at that. Uh, here's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It's to be so caught up in the joy that is the love between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It's a, in a way that is just obvious to everyone around you. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. You're so caught up in the love between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that the way you live is obvious to everyone around you that that's true. Um, so that leads us into point two. So what are those obvious ways? If it's obvious to everyone around you, what are, what are the ways? What, what is, what's obvious? Um, so what happens when we are filled with the Holy Spirit? Four things. Um, you encourage, you sing heartily, you give thanks, and you submit to one another. And look at those relatively quickly. So there, these are the four things that happen as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's just look at them. So you encourage, that's the first one. Look at the first part of verse 19. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Now, just pause for a second. Did you, see, did you really see what it says there? Look at it again. Look at it again. Speaking to one another with songs, psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Did you catch that? We tend to think that when we come together as a church to sing songs, what we're doing is singing to God. And we'll see in a minute that that is true. That is something that we're doing. But what it really says is speaking to one another. And so who's the recipient of our speaking and singing these psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? Who's the recipient? You are. I am. We are. We're actually the recipients of that. Uh, and now what this is saying is that when we sing, we're just as much singing to one another as we are singing to the Lord. Now, did you realize that before? That actually when we're singing, we're singing to each other. Um, that's why the band loves it when we sing loudly, by the way. So we're singing back to them. And what that's saying is that my singing loudly is actually a way that I can encourage you and your love for the Lord. So when I sing loudly, I'm encouraging you. And when you sing loudly, you're encouraging me. Um, there is a, a woman in our church back in Liverpool, uh, actually a couple of women, who they just had extremely difficult lives. Um, they're both a little bit older and um, just really, really hard pasts and really, really difficult present situations. And to be honest, their future prospects weren't that great either. They just really, really hard lives. And no matter how hard a week I had, I could be almost certain that their weeks were more difficult than mine. Uh, but there were so many Sundays when they, they would be singing their hearts out in worship. Sure, they'd, they'd be in the back because they just couldn't be around other people. They were just, but they were singing their hearts out to the Lord. And me catching a glimpse of that was actually the most encouraging thing I'd experienced most weeks. It was just catching a glimpse of these women whose lives were really difficult, singing their hearts out to the Lord. So what's that saying? It's saying that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, your singing in the congregation is actually doing more than just one thing. It's doing more than just one thing. So yes, it's you worshiping the Lord, but it's also you encouraging someone else, the person next to you. And so this actually has to do with our motivation for singing. So a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit sings loudly because they want to encourage others. They actually do it because they want to be an encouragement. And look, I know some of you aren't good singers, and I know that because I've stood near you. And if you stood near me, you know that I'm not a good singer. Okay, we know this about each other. Okay, let's just be honest. We all know this. Um, 
But what this text is saying is that the louder we sing, the more encouraged everyone else in the church will be. That's what it's saying. The louder we sing, the more encouraged everyone else in the church will be. And I think that's especially true uh, now when we have to sing six feet apart from one another with a mask on. We have to sing even louder to get through the, the mask. And so that's the first mark of being filled with the Spirit. You sing because you know your singing is an encouragement to other people. When the Spirit fills you, you're okay with being a bad singer loudly because you know that's an encouragement. That's, that's the first thing. The second one is related. Uh, so you also sing heartily. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you sing heartily. Verse 19, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Now the first part of verse 19, we were to sing to one another. We saw that. Uh, in this half, it says to sing from your heart to the Lord. So from your heart to the Lord. And so the recipient of our singing here is the Lord. So you see, it does double duty. It's very efficient that way. Isn't it great? Very efficient. Um, and uh, notice, though, it's from your heart. And so a sign that you're filled with the Spirit is that you sing from the heart. Now, throughout history, there have been what's called revivals. And a revival is when a group of pe people experience... Uh, God moving in their hearts at the same time. In other words, uh, a revival is when a group of people all experience the fullness of the Spirit at the same time. That's a revival. Um, and uh, one of the most famous ones actually happened here in L.A. Uh, it went on for uh, it went on from 1906 to 1915. So it went on for years. Uh, it happened just downtown at Azusa Street. And um, there's been many, many others. Uh, they still even happen today. There's revivals that are, I'm sure, happening even now as we speak. And um, one of the coolest ties to history I've ever had to revival, I've never experienced one, never experienced one. Um, but one of the coolest ties I've ever had to revival, some of you will know that I went to a school uh, named after an evangelist named D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody used to travel the world doing revivals. He, so he'd be invited to go to places and God somehow anointed his ministry. And when he would go and preach, tons of people would have this experience, um, this shared experience with other people. And uh, he had done several in England, and he even did one, uh, did two actually, in the city we used to live in, in Liverpool. And I was doing some, some research one day into the history of D.L. Moody and his revivals and revivals in, in the UK. And I came across uh, this little bit of history. And uh, Emmy and I, when we first lived there, we lived uh, on a street, uh, pretty much on the corner of Cross Hall Street and Victoria Street in Liverpool. Those are the cross streets. And I'm reading this thing about the history of where D.L. Moody uh, had his first revival in Liverpool. And it was on an open piece of land on the corner of Crosshall Street and Victoria Street. It was directly across the street from our, like we looked out our window into the, the place where they, they did the revival, which was, by the way, an open parking lot just like this. Um, and, uh, and so for, for about, uh, I think it was about three months, um, he, they held a revival there and they saw thousands and thousands of people um, come to the Lord, thousands and thousands of people um, be caught up into this uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so one of, one of the marks of the revival, by the way, is singing. And so D.L. Moody had someone named Ira Sankey who used to travel around with him with this little like compact organ. Um, and he would play music. And uh, one of the marks of a revival is singing. And so when, um, when a revival is happening in a group, the singing is what makes it obvious. And if you read the stories about these revivals, it was the singing that made the revival obvious. It was hearty singing, singing from the heart. That as people were being filled with the Spirit, they would then sing to the Lord from their hearts. And I would love to be part of a revival. I'd love to see it happen in Los Angeles. I'd love to see it happen in our church. 
And it seems that the starting point of any revival is when a group of people are filled with the Spirit. That's the starting point. Uh, one more thing about singing from the heart, because I bet for a lot of us we feel like that kind of singing, that kind of heartfelt praise is maybe a million miles away from our own personal reality. Uh, but the ability to praise, uh, praise like this is something that you have to cultivate. So praise, is, it's a discipline. Just as much as confession is a discipline or prayer is a discipline, and I know that praise is a discipline because it's commanded in Scripture. So it has to be a discipline. Um, it's something that uh, in the beginning, or maybe even not in the beginning of being a Christian, but maybe in the middle, you have to consciously set your heart to. You have to discipline your heart and your mind not to think about the band, not to think about the crows, uh, or how you don't like this particular song that we sang, or, or the tune of, of it, or the arrangement of it. Discipline your heart to think about the one to whom you're singing. That's what the text says, right? The singing from the heart to the Lord. And so to discipline yourself. Um, and so I encourage you to try that when we sing at the end of the service today, to sing to the Lord from your heart, to discipline yourself in that way. So, okay, that's enough on that. Uh, the next mark of being filled by the Spirit is that you give thanks. Verse 20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what this is saying is the person who's filled with the Spirit is a thankful person, is a person of gratitude. And not just about some things, uh, but about all things. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything it says. Uh, but just, just, let's just think about this for a minute. Why would the Spirit lead you to be thankful? Again, it says to God the Father for everything. And what is there to be thankful? What is there to be thankful to God uh, about the chair you're sitting on? It's just a chair. It's not even a particularly nice chair. In fact, in the, the scale of chairs, it's pretty down near the bottom of niceness. Uh, it's not even that nice a chair. Well, here's, what it, here's how you can be thankful. It means you have a place to sit right now. You've got somewhere to sit. And that chair, by the way, was loaned to us from our friends at Community Life Church in La Crescenta. Uh, they loaned them to us so that we could have lighter, easier chairs to move in and out of the building because the ones here all weigh like 60 pounds each. But more than that, more than that, God created you. And so he created you with knees and hips and ankles that bend so that you can sit down. Right? He created the materials that were used to make the chair. God gives us incredible weather in Southern California. That means we can sit in these chairs outdoors most of the year. I mean, I could go on. That's just the chair you're sitting on. That's literally just the chair you're sitting on. You see how you can be thankful to God for everything? Now, what the Holy Spirit is doing when he leads you down a road of gratitude like that is he's showing you, he's displaying for you the sovereign goodness of God. He's displaying for you the providence of God because he provided you with the chair. And so what's he's, well, he's showing you God's character. So when we're thankful, we're actually experiencing and seeing a display of God's character. That's what's happening when we're thankful. And so when you become this kind of thankful person, the Holy Spirit is doing just what the Holy Spirit has always done. He's cultivating a love for the Father, a love for the Son. He's doing what he's done for all of eternity. Uh, and when you're filled with the Spirit, all, what that means is he's doing it in you. Okay, last one, and this will be really brief. You submit to one another. So um, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so the last mark that you're filled with the Holy Spirit is that you're willing to submit your will to another person. You're willing to submit your will to another person. And this is nowhere more, more important than in the home. 
Uh, and that's the rest of chapter five and the start of chapter six. So come back next week and we'll talk about what it means to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But that's the, the last mark, is that you're willing to do that. You're willing to submit your will to another person. Um, and so being filled with the Holy Spirit means to be caught up into the joy that is the love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit in a way that's obvious to everyone around you. And if the obvious ways are that you encourage, that you sing heartily, that you give thanks, that you submit to one another, then thirdly, how can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? How do we get it? How do we get that? In other words, what are the inputs, right? What's the input that I need to get the output that I'm desiring? Uh, well, I'm going to give you two very briefly. Um, and the first one is just to apply the principle of wisdom. So remember verses 16 and 17, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And so remember, wisdom is not so much knowledge of what is right, but it's doing the right thing over and over and over again until it becomes automatic, until you become the kind of person who always does it. And so if we apply wisdom to what we've already looked at now, if we take wisdom and apply it to this, then it means to cooperate with what you already know the Holy Spirit wants you to be and to do. And so that means over and over and over again, meeting together with other Christians, like we're doing today, to encourage by singing loudly. Do that over and over and over and over again. By reading loudly, and when we do the readings, by sharing something, encouraging with one another after the service. The principle of wisdom says, um, if you do that over and over again, you become the kind of person who's an encourager. That's who you become. And the Holy Spirit wants nothing more than for you to become that kind of person. It also means over and over and over again, singing from your heart to the Lord. And so when we do that, you set your heart on the one to whom you're singing. You discipline yourself to think of him, to meditate on him through the words and the melody of the songs that we sing. And so it means, also means over and over being thankful for everything, just constantly being thankful for things. It means over and over again, being willing to submit to others by serving them. And so it means week in and week out, finding ways to serve other people. And so that's the first input. Uh, here's the second, and we'll finish with this. Uh, the second one is to give thanks for Jesus. The second input is not that, um, not just that we give thanks in the name of Jesus, it says in verse, as it says in verse 20, but also that we give thanks for Jesus, that we give thanks for him. And so the more and more you do that, the more and more you'll be filled with the Spirit. And so think about, just think about what Jesus did for you and give thanks. That's how you're filled with the Spirit. And what did he do for you? What did he do? Well, look at what Paul already said. Back in chapter 2, he said this. He said, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Remember what we said last week, wrath? It's not some kind of violent act. It's, it's God's justice for wrongdoing. We were by nature deserving of justice, deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And what that's saying is that even though you deserve wrath, even though you deserve justice, the just, just punishment for your sins, even though you deserve it, Jesus Christ took it for you and it was poured out on him instead of us. And so think about what you deserve and think about what you got instead. You deserve wrath, but by faith in Jesus Christ, you get love. You deserve spiritual death, but by faith in Jesus Christ, you get life. And the more and more we give thanks for that, the more and more we give thanks for that over and over and over and over again is the more and more that we will be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
That's how it works. So those are the inputs that we need. The Holy Spirit, who already lives uh, with you at all times, is to give you the fullness of the joy that he shares with God the Father and God the Son. The way we experience the filling of the Holy Spirit is to apply wisdom to everything we've learned, everything we've talked about. Apply it to encouragement, apply it to your singing, apply it to giving thanks, apply it to submitting to one another. And the result is that we filled with the Spirit. Uh, let's pray.